Bonjour and bienvenue to Fourth Times the Charm, the podcast where every week this brand new podcast. I am your host, Ben, and my other host, Matt, is unfortunately not here today. He is out traveling, and I just got engaged, so there will be a delay on our newest episode until next week. What we have in the meantime, however, is something that I think is even better. What we have up today is an analysis from one of our old podcasts, Ben and Matt's Festival Findings, where we're going to take a deep dive into a look at one of my unironic favorite movies of all time, the oft-ridiculed and lambasted and hated and derided Ready to Rumble. So wrestling fans and people who enjoy reviews of terrible movies, fasten your seatbelts because we're in for a bumpy ride. Hello to all of our new listeners. Hope you guys enjoyed last week. This week, even though it's an old one, it's still one of the high watermarks of Matt and I's recording together, and I hope you all enjoy it. What we have coming up here is we're going to have part one, which will be a full analysis of the movie breakdown. And then part two is going to be an actual live commentary if you like us enough that you want to sync us up to the actual movie and watch along with it. Really nice, easy watch, especially if you've uh, had a few drinks beforehand. So with that said, we are now going to turn back the clock to one of the podcasts that helped inspire Fourth Times the Charm. It's been a Matt's Festival of Findings. We will see you guys in the upcoming weeks, and we have some doozies of episodes coming up for you guys. We have full album reviews, drafting, and we have movie critiques of movies that you guys will love to hate if you don't already. So, that's the upcoming weeks, but right now, let's turn the clock back to Ben and Matt's Festival of Finding. Gordy and Sean had dead-end jobs. People always said I was a dreamer, an idiot, and a waste of life, and I will never amount to anything. Hit me, baby, one more time. No luck with the ladies. Brittany, let's go out again. We'll talk about me and you. Dude, you're in there. And no one to look up to. Freeze! Your sister shot her first perp today. That's nice, Gabby. But at least they had a hero. Jimmy King is the greatest wrestler of all time. Wrestling's fake. Wrestling's not fake! Down goes Jimmy King! Oh my god, a four-post massacre! No one can survive this! This isn't even a pay-per-view! Would that be raw sewage I'm smelling? They kind of always like that smell. Now, these dreamers... Me and my associate, we're on a quest to find King. It's him! King King! ...will go to any lengths... Please crowd out! Oh, no! Oh, that was great! ...and do whatever it takes... We got a friend who's gonna get you a trainer. Everybody knows wrestling's fake. ...to put their king... Do I feel fake? Back on his throne. Any match, any time. The steel cage. Steel cage wins. No, no, no. Done. Bring it on. We are. 
chicks rock! It's time to do the Big Wiggle! Longer lasting than a WCW championship reign in 2000, it's episode 6 of Ben and Matt's Festival of Findings, a celebration of the odd, obscure, underappreciated, and best forgotten video games, movies, and media of yore. I am Jimmy King's biggest fan, Benjamin, and I am joined by the man who would make three counts swoon, Matt. Ooh, that was a spicy one. You know, I was... I was doing okay, Ben, and then you threw that three-count line in there, and now, you know, I took my pants off. I'm ready. Dang. And, I, and, you know, you might be the biggest Jimmy King fan, but I'm the biggest Diamond Dallas Page fan. I've done his yoga. Yeah. Um, well, today we are going to head straight into uh, one of the most infamous, I suppose, <clears throat> uh, pro wrestling movies of all time. I can't think of one which is... Well, well, here's the thing, is that this movie can't be hate-watched. It's like kung fu movies. You know they're terrible, and you sit down and you just watch dudes like spin in circles for an hour and a half. This movie had like real life implications. Like this shit affected people's careers. Yeah, this movie is arguably, as far as cinema and wrestling is concerned, one of the more, at least, influential films in wrestling history. Matt and I are both big wrestling fans. I've grown up watching wrestling since i was six months old yeah. um and this is a movie i've seen since it came out so ben, actually i want to know how did you find this movie i i mean i watched wcw back when i was oh, five right. years old and this movie was being advertised a ton um and <laughs> since then of course it's had such negative stigma attached to it but there aren't a lot of outlets which have really collated Mm -hmm. all the details and all the background of this movie into one neat little package and that's what we are going to try and do here so based on my sampling of the internet we're the least butthurt people to actually talk about this movie as well yes you're going to quickly find out (laughs) who Today, we begin the first chapter in what will be a periodic journey through the surprisingly deep history of something near and dear to our hearts, pro wrestling movies. Dating back to the age of El Santo, pro wrestling has continued to find its way to the silver screen. Or, at the very least, straight to video. Be it 2014's Pro Wrestlers vs. Zombies, 2009's The Wrestler, 2017's Glow, or 1974's The Wrestler... Many of our favorite grapplers, beyond The Rock and John Cena, have immortalized themselves in the halls of the Screen Actors Guild. And what a better place to begin our journey than the only wrestling movie influential enough to put a company's world championship in the hands of that one dude from Scream. It's 2000's Ready to Rumble, and it's going to crown ya.
the year 2000. The then World Wrestling Federation is at one of its creative peaks with characters like The Rocks, Triple H, ah, and a then injured Stone Cold Steve Austin <laughs> selling out arenas all over the world. Their competition, World Championship Wrestling, who just two years prior was selling out the Georgia Dome, is losing money hand over fist due to a combination of mismanagement and politicking from key figures Kevin Ash, Hulk Hogan, Vince Russo, and the then-fired, before being rehired, Eric Bischoff. Amidst two straight years of plummeting ratings, abysmally unwatchable shows, and a talent roster that's jumping ship faster than the Titanic, what could the company possibly do to reinvigorate some goodwill from its increasingly shrinking fanbase? Create a kayfabe-breaking Dumb and Dumber-style movie that makes out its fans to be inbred rednecks. It's genius, Matt. It, it is. It's, it's actually, to me, I have a lot of respect. As I've, as I've become a wrestling, like, smirk type of fan that we all, we all are now as, like, indie fans and whatever, this movie... I think really gets on the pulse of what it means to believe deeply in kayfabe because like these guys never break the belief in kayfabe and the whole movie feels like a shoot too. Like, like I know it's because the, the writing's bad and, but there's like moments, you know, like where they're selling when, when the King attacks DDP and the, the uh, ref pins him and they set up a match. Like that seems like such perfect booking and such realistic booking. You know, I feel like we've seen that the exact storyline of a fighter getting, like, screwed out of a title, getting sent off screen, and then breaking back into the arena and beating the shit out of a guy. You know, it, it to me, watching it now, the booking seems pretty modern-day WWE. To me, this uh, movie, more than anything, shows what outsiders think wrestling fans and wrestling is. Well, I mean, and coming out of the Attitude Era... Like, uh, there was, I think you could probably speak to this better, Ben, but there was a lot of people with how un-PC WWE and pro wrestling was really, like, had, like, a very negative viewpoint. It's like It was like the violent video games of nowadays. Yeah, that is, I mean, that's very true, and that's a stigma that's, I, I don't think wrestling has ever been able to shake even mm-hmm. in today's day and age, only now are they just starting to get that stigma away from them. Well, yeah, it's like pe- it's people like John Cena, despite how much we all love to hate him, he's this figure that has allowed us to transcend into the PG median. And he, he even wasn't part of it originally. But I think when I look at like the face of modern wrestling and the face of like smiling, shaking your hand and being on like morning talk shows, it's John Cena. Where, like, this movie made me think, makes me think of, like, Ric Flair and Stone Cold and Goldberg. So the moral of this podcast is thank you, John Cena. I'm not kidding. I love John Cena. I'm a huge John Cena, Mark. Like, I had his, I had his LP. Haven't, haven't stopped loving him since. I, I never stopped loving him because I uh, didn't listen to it, but. Oh, you should have, man. That thugonomics, man. Thugonomics. Ready to Rumble follows the journey of wrestling fans and sewage workers, Sean Dawkins, played by Ocean's Eleven and Hawaii Five-O Scott Can, and Gordy Boggs, played by future world champion David Arquette, as they help the legendary Jimmy King, like Placid's Oliver Platt, get revenge for being screwed over as a shoot brother <gasps> by evil Jersey Shoreman Diamond Dallas Page and dastardly promoter Titus Sinclair, who as I found out, actually uh, also played one of the criminals in The Goonies. 
Oh, really? Yeah. His face. I could see it. Yeah, he's got he's got the very heroin. He also looks like Shawn look. Michaels if he shaved. Like now Shawn Michaels. If Shawn Michaels now shaved, instead of looking like a scary old man, he'd look like Sinclair. I, they wear the same hat, Ben. I mean, yes, they have long hair. and Well, no, they, Shawn Michaels doesn't even have long hair now. Not now, but I'm saying like fate from like a facial structure standpoint, I think they look kind of similar. See, to me, uh, he sort of comes across as the uncle that you know diddles kids so you don't keep your own kid around him for too long. Unless you hate them. Starring in this movie are a cavalcade of WCW wrestlers and personalities, including Bill Goldberg, Sting, Brandy Macho Man Savage, ooh yeah, yeah. Booker T, Psycho Sid Vicious Justice, Bam 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 Bigelow, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig, Juventud Guerrera, not Guerrero, Billy Kidman, Conan, Rey Mysterio Jr., Perry Saturn before he got the tattoo, Prince ooh. Iakea, Gorgeous George, the hot woman and Macho Man's then-girlfriend, not the famous wrestler. Van Hammer, Michael Buffer, Mean Gene Okerlund, Tony Schiavone, The Living Zombie, Mike Tenay, Referee Charles Robinson, Referee Billy Silverman, Half a Dozen Nitro Girls, The Disco Inferno, Shane Helms, who also acted as a stunt double, double, and the supremely underrated Chris Canyon, who was also a stunt double, uh, as well as the acting debut of your favorite 16-time world champion, John Cena. Given the roster of WCW even in 2000, that is a strange group of people. And no Ric Flair, who is still with the company. There's no Ric Flair. Do you realize, Matt, how much of a waste of space Van Hammer was in 2000? I don't even know who Van Hammer is, Ben. (laughs) Imagine someone who has the wrestling skills of... Vladimir Kozlov or the Grey Kali, except okay. he does not look as visually impressive and he plays a guitar. So it's 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 as if um Oh what Elias had the wrestling skills of the Grey Kali. Boom. On the money. That is wow, that is really great. Yeah, but he can't talk either. He Perfect. was employed by WCW for like ten years. It, no. It's truly incredible. That's incredible. And and I think I think another uh, thing we can touch on here is how many people on that list are dead now yeah this movie has, <laughs> has a <laughs> wide wide array. i mean just looking from this list you know uh mm-hmm. macho's dead bam bam's dead hennig's yep. dead um perry saturn wishes he was dead he might as uh, well be dead van hammer's never been alive yeah michael buffer's doing fine though uh and of course uh chris canyon took his own life about 10 years ago uh, which is very depressing. Was well, it the, because of traumatic brain damage and a lack of care and emphasis on uh, concussions? Uh, it was a mixture, as far okay. as I'm aware. He came out as gay and was persecuted for that pretty heavily in the WWE locker room. Yeah, I mean, you can uh, you can only imagine the level of homophobia that must have existed in that culture, yeah, especially even as, then. Even as late as the mid-2000s, when Canyon was still working there, he suffered from it a lot. Probably the best example would be in 2003, The Undertaker just crowns Canyon with an unprotected chair shot to the head. What Probably the, the most sickening chair shot I've ever seen. It is truly really? just the sound of it. Like, bam, I'll splice it in right about here. There was a recent UFC fight that ended with probably the most sickening thing I've ever heard in fighting. 
like including WWE. And I've I've been to like we've been to like we saw a guy get stabbed in the head with a fork. Ben, we were at that show together. There was a recent fight that was ended by a head kick, and it sounded like a man hitting a baseball bat against a tree, but it was a dude's skull versus a shin bone. Wow, yeah, that's that's pretty intense. That 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 affected me like watching parasites come out of creatures. Like those are the two things. Like the sound of bone hitting bone, and I, apparently parasites. I know what I'm getting you for your birthday. Ooh. The movie was directed by Brian Robbins, best known for producing the likes of Norbit, Varsity Blues, Blue Mountain State, One Tree Hill, Smallville, and Big Fat Liar, amongst others. Stephen Brill penned the script, who is best known for writing Little Nicky and directing (laughs) films such as Mr. Deeds, Sandy Wexler, and one of the scenes from the critically lauded Movie 43. So you know we're working with some real winners here, Matt. We're, we are we are the top tier talent of SAG. I, I mean, to be to be fair, Brian Robbins is actually pretty accomplished. Yeah, um, I mean, Blue Mountain like State was right good. Varsity Blues was well received. Norbit ruined someone's career and lost Eddie Mur- Eddie Murphy and Oscar. One Tree Hill was successful. People still make memes about Smallville. Premiering in American theaters on April seventh, two thousand, with the tagline: "Sometimes two heads are more than one." The movie ranked number six in its opening weekend, raking in $5.2 million across 2,500 cinemas. In total, the movie grossed $12.45 million over its seven-week run with approximately $60,000 coming from international markets. It was largely straight-to-video release in other regions. I think that's how much money Infinity War made in an hour. In about 25 minutes, yeah. Yeah, probably. They surpassed the entire box office of Ray to Rumble within probably the first hour of pre-order tickets being sold. And that's like, that's being nice. Yes. With a production budget of $24 million, this art imitated life for WCW in that it was a complete and utter embarrassing flop. Now, Ben, I have actually an interesting question here. I don't know if you'll be able to answer it. Do you know how much money WCW put into this movie compared to, like, the studio and, like, other investors? Um, well, it was a Warner Brothers film. And you have to remember that right now WCW was owned by uh, AOL Time Warner as they were going through that merger, which ended up leading to the ultimate demise of WCW. Yeah, so there's a bit of gray area in there. I couldn't find anything okay. that said it, but WCW was always the division of Turner. Okay. And by that, I mean their finances were always sort of mixed in with Turner's docket. So, for example, Hulk Hogan's contract was, if I remember correctly, a Turner contract instead of a WCW contract. And that's how they could justify paying him so much money and they could make their financial books look better because this, Mm. however, $10 million a year write-off for Hogan, they didn't have to put on their books. Okay. Okay. That's some shifty bullshit. Yeah, it is. Good old Bischoff. Just, yeah, right. Uh, Just on a quick note about uh, Hulk Hogan, Ben. Uh, I've been watching a reality television program um, titled Champs vs. Stars. It's a spinoff of MTV's The Challenge. Yeah, uh, The Miz was on that. Yeah, well, he hosts it. Yeah, he, hosts he hosts all it. of their after shows. 
It's not just that the Miz is on it, Ben. Brooke Hogan is. Is she? Yeah, and she's a bit. She has like a lot of screen time, and even FaceTimes her dad at one point, and has him talk to one of the MTV reality television celebrities, who makes countless uh, Hulk Hogan jokes and impressions throughout the TV show, calling his daughter brother. Um, she he called he called Hulk Hogan brother. Hey, let me tell you something, dude. Uh, I'll let you call me whatever you want, brother, as as long as Vince will hire me back, dude. Is 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 Miz there, brother? Mikey, Mikey, hey, dude, it's Hulk. R- remember when we worked on Tough Enough together for like three weeks before he used the N word and got fired? Yeah. Huh. Hey, hey, dude, you you, you want to pin the Hulkster? I'll, I'll let you get a two count on me, brother. <laughs> Could you imagine brother? if that was the are, personality are the Hulk had? Dude, hello, 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 here, hello. Here. I'm stressed, Brooke. Come here. Let, let me massage your back. You know, I almost got that feeling. Yeah, there's there's these weird videos online of Hogan and Brooke, like Hogan just massaging her and shit. It's really that's really discon- strange. It's really disconcerting. She's like super not. She's she's like built, but she's super non-aggressive and timid. It's really strange. She's the like the kind antithesis of Hogan. It, I remember when she worked for TNA and she did a wedding angle and slowly fell backwards and her boob fell out of her dress. And then really? she told Hulk, my boob fell out. On TV? Like she said that on TV? Yeah. Yeah, Great that's times. not... From what I've seen of her in this reality television program, that sounds like Brooke Hogan. But yeah, you know, we're talking about Hulk Hogan's salary of mm-hmm. however many millions of dollars. The TV rights for this movie were purchased by TNT slash TBS for a rousing $1.75 million, <laughs> which that's next to nothing considering you can, they can re-air that thing every single week they want to until the end of time. They took it for $1.5 million. That's ridiculous. Disney could wipe their ass with that much money every day and still not make a dent into the total gross of Infinity War. Uh, critics were similarly nonplussed with the film. It currently sits at a lofty 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. Today, the film is once again heralded as one of WCW's most notable failures, particularly due to the company's head writer at the time, the beautiful Vince Russo, attempting to drum up interest for the movie by having David Arquette win the WCW championship on an episode of WCW's B-Show Thunder by pinning non-wrestler Eric Bischoff in a tag team match he barely participated in. I'd also like to note that the pinfall was counted by a referee who was only tangentially involved in the match. But, hey, wow. that's where we come in. Matt, you've seen this movie a good helping of times. Yeah, shockingly is, a lot. <laughs> what is your take on this spring blockbuster from the great year of 2000? So when I think back to when I saw it, I was a very innocent wrestling fan and i went to a my local blockbuster video what what year was it that you first saw the movie 2001 okay so were you maybe 2002 so where were you at as a wrestling fan were you watching wwf at the time wcw i was watching uh wf i remember watching raw uh i wasn't a huge i wasn't a huge fan did you I was have like, any idea that there were other wrestling companies like WCW? Or did no you just clue. think, oh, wow, there's 
WWF, and I guess that's it. I only ever heard about WWF. I had thought that there must be. Um, I remember I got McFoley's one of his books when I was a young kid, and I he like mentioned like New Japan or some like some other wrestling organization, and I was like blew my mind for about two weeks. But yeah, so when I when I first went in and got this movie, I went to the blockbuster I always go to, and part of the reason I got so into wrestling was because it's like really sad dude that worked at my local blockbuster dude was like pushing 350 and was like 35 and worked at a blockbuster but he loved wrestling he was the i remember when i walked in my favorite memory of him is when i asked him what was the real beef about edge and matt hardy and lita because i didn't get it because i didn't know any of the backs like the actual like real life shit that was going on and I remember he told me, I'll tell you about it when you're older. Don't worry. We'll still be open. Um, he never told me. Well, how long was it before it closed? It was about like a year, two years, three years. Well, that that takes away a bit of the comedic irony, but fair yeah. enough. He, yeah, he never told me, um, but I found out from reading WWE Magazine, I think. There we go. Uh, <laughs> WWE but, Magazine really wafted in and out of being actually interesting. There were certain yeah. years when they actually had some cool stuff. and Well, when some of the stuff as, I was watching about this movie is at this time period, the wrestling magazines were like a big thing. Like, yeah, in, wrestling like, the magazines two- were really big because you have to remember in 2000, websites were taking off. I believe mm-hmm. WWF began their website around 1996 and they've been on AOL chat rooms before then mm-hmm. but that makes sense. it was still very much a novelty yeah website and very very niche until the 2000s got on yeah i, I think for, for a while it was mostly just for like young kids to find pictures of divas online it was actually quite the opposite oh really yeah the early most chat rooms were very fourth wall kayfabe breaking um, oh really wow yeah and one of the like things even from the wwe if they participated in them from yeah from the then wwf and even more so wcw vince russo was a very very strong proponent of the internet fans and he'd gain a lot of criticism for this for catering to this small half a percentile of fans who didn't even like him catering to them so he Sounds would always like worry about working the smarks working the smarks when I believe in the I, end, I thought he was, was just here. doing stuff that didn't make sense. Sounds like WWE now. You don't. It's WCW in two thousand. We're gonna get into it. Okay, yeah. we're gonna get into it. As for oh, my yeah. side, but I like the movie. I, yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah. No, so so tell me about the movie. Like when you first saw it, what do you think of it? When I first saw it, okay, I I I have a confession to make i i'm very easy to please when it comes to movies when i was a kid at least like i liked one missed call it has a zero on rotten tomatoes um (laughs) like i legitimately enjoyed that movie as a a kid when i saw it in theaters um so when i first saw it i thought it was great i thought some of the characters were stupid but i was a young boy and i'll be honest i liked the nitro girls and there was punching and i thought david arquette was funny and i loved scream um, so at my young age, I really liked it. Um, now I, I really just appreciate it because I love bad movies. Anyway, I'm a big B, B movie, B horror movie fan. This movie feels very like on the nose. Like, um, 
right after the shit gets sh- flown, flown on every, over everybody, and then the truck falls and there's toilet paper in it, they have this, like, really, like, the music in the background sounds like a bad cartoon. It, it, it's like, and, like, it, like, the shot leading up to it's like, whoop, like, it has this very cartoony feel to it. So now when I watch this movie, I watch it as just, like, pure kayfabe booking. And knowing that it crumbled a company makes this movie beautiful to me. Yeah, this this movie holds a special place in my heart. I love it brought wrestling. us together. Yeah, well, I love this movie since it came out in 2000. I grew up being a huge WCW fan. My family was huge. close to Doug Dillinger, who was head of security at WCW. Oh, shit. Um, oh, shit, dropping names. We would spend a ton of time going to WCW shows in the late 90s since I was literally two, three years old. My, literally, my first memory in my life is at the very last Clash of Champions, we were there. They had this gimmick where, because this was uh, Clash of Champions 97, mm-hmm. And Sting is taunting the NWO. So he's supposed to appear in the rafters and then the lights go out and they come back on and there's a crow in the ring. Wow. Lo and behold, it's 20 minutes before the show starts and the door's not open. Uh Uh-oh. So finally the door's open. We come barreling in. We ask what happened. Right before they open the doors, the crow got loose in the building. (laughs) And so... They Holy spent fuck 40 minutes holding everyone in the building out so they could catch this stupid crow for this one tiny segment, which I believe they still ended up botching when they uh, did it. But There's no um, way they weren't going to botch that bit. There's no oh way. Oh, my God. So this movie I have a lot closer ties to, I think, than the average bear. Because even though the vast majority of filming took place in Los Angeles, there were certain bits of the movie that were filmed in front of an actual Nitro audience. Yeah. And apparently there weren't many of them. They were just pickup shots. But I remember in, I believe, a late 1999 Nitro. Are you in this movie, Ben? I'm technically in this movie. What? Technically, No way. I don't think I get on camera, but they needed a pickup shot of Jimmy King coming down to the ring for Nitro. Yeah. They said, hey, everyone, we're going to film a quick entrance for our new movie, Ready to Rumble. Or they have David Penzer on there. So he goes, we're going to have an entrance for Ready to Rumble. Because he uses the same enunciation for everything in his life. So Jimmy King comes out, his fireworks, he gracefully walks to the ring, stands up on the apron. The crowd's like, what the fuck's going on? And then he leaves. See, I think they should have just had him win the title instead of uh, Arquette. Shit, dude. You know? Imagine imagine if they fully build out Jimmy King. You know, that's a terrible idea, but it was WCW 2000, so why not? It would have worked better than what happened. Now, I will say, I have my own personal memento from this movie. Ooh. Back at home, I have uh, one of the steel chairs that they used in the match with uh, Jimmy King and DDP. You know the chair where King just swings it backwards and it bashes DDP right in the face? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a rubber chair. 
So really, yeah, we got it from an auction, got it for next to nothing on eBay, and it still looks like a chair. Can you sit in it? Um, no, no, it's okay. it's solid. Yeah, just solid plastic. Yeah, I will also state this movie has a killer soundtrack, which every time we went to a show, we would listen to the soundtrack. No regrets. I'm surprised we haven't done this. I tell you, it's quite a wide array of songs. You know, you have D. Snyder's We're Not Gonna Take It, or Biff Naked's We're Not Gonna Take It, the DJ Hurricane mix of We Will Rock You, Hit Me Baby One More Time, Girls, 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 and of course, the incomparable Last Resort by Papa Roach. I mean, who can say no to that? (laughs) Cut my life into pieces. This is my last resort. Suffocation. So, where does the journey for Ready to Rumble begin? Let's turn the clock back all the way to the fall of 1999, when Ready to Rumble first entered production. The wrestling world is buzzing as veteran WWF writers Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara have recently departed the company, scoffing at the idea of booking an additional two-hour weekly show called SmackDown in favor of signing with the WCW for big, fat, guaranteed money deals and complete creative control. WWF's October event at the time, No Mercy, featured the geriatric pimp Fabulous Moolah winning the WWF Women's Championship from future Hall of Famer Ivory. China defeated Jeff Jarrett, who was WCW-bound, for the Intercontinental Championship in a good housekeeping hardcore match, uh, which Jarrett famously wouldn't agree to do unless he was paid six figures as his contract was up at the time. If you're wondering why it took Jeff Jarrett almost 20 years to be entered into the Hall of Fame, that's your answer right there. Damn right. Yep. Uh, resident porn star and perennial mid-carter Val Venus defeated hardcore legend Mankind in less than 10 minutes. Jesus. And Triple H defeated Steve Austin in a WWF championship match a month before Austin would be written off television for nearly a year due to neck surgery. Despite the um, fact that WWF quickly regained its footing, there was a small period of time there where they seemed really desperate without Vince Russo at the helm. Oh, really? They, you think they, like, significantly suffered? I mean, Val Venus beat Mankind. Okay, yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah, that's that's answer enough. Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara have been in WCW now for a month or two, and their changes are in full effect. So let's go to the other side of the pond and look at WCW's card for Halloween Havoc 1999, shall we? Oh, let's get into it. Let's get into it. In our opening match, the Disco Inferno defeated Lash LaRue to retain the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. Opening the show with the Cruiserweights. Perfect. Yeah. Yep. Harlem Heat, Booker T, and Stevie Ray defeated the Filthy Animals, Billy Kidman and Conan, and the First Family, Brian Nobbs and Hugh Morris, for in a street fight for the WCW Tag Team Championship, which was vacant at the time. Eddie Guerrero defeated Perry Saturn by disqualification. Brad Armstrong, who was B.A., a part of the No Limit Soldiers at the time, um, defeated Berlin with The Wall. Do you get it? Berlin? The Wall? The Berlin Wall? The fifth match, uh, Rick Snyder defeated Chris Benoit. Oh, no, no, no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. No, no, no. Hold on, hold on. Berlin 
and the wall. Even better. It was a you. singles match for even, the WCW e- World Television better. Championship. Even better, Matt. Crispin okay. Wall committed Brad double suicide at the on time. his family. Matt, I am going to say this whether you want me to or not. Brad Armstrong, as part of the No Limit Soldiers, they actually gave him a gimmick of mocking his brother, the road dog, Jesse James, by giving him the gimmick of B.A. And he was pretty much just a straight-up ripoff. He was part of the No Limit Soldiers, which was led by rapper Master P. Other members in the stable included Conan, Chase Tatum, Ray Mysterio Jr., 4x4, and Swole. And then in the sixth match of the evening, the total package with Elizabeth defeated Bret Hart in a singles match. Yeah, Lex Luger at this time, for some reason, they took Lex Luger off of his name. So he was no longer Lex Luger. He was just the total package. First name, the last name, package. In match seven, Hulk Hogan laid down for Sting, I think if I remember that right, for the world championship. Goldberg defeated Sid Vicious for the United States Championship in about seven minutes. And that actually was quite wonderful. Sid Vicious around this time, they, they wanted to give Sid a streak similar to Goldberg's. Okay. But they were lazy and didn't want to dedicate the time to give him an actual substantial streak. So what he'd do was on Nitro, he'd just randomly come out during matches and powerbomb people. And every person he powerbombed, the commentary team would say, oh, that's another victory for Sid. What? So he'd just powerbomb five people in one match, and the rest would go, wow, he's 5-0. and oh. That's fucking incredible. That, that is some top-tier booking. He would actually lose a match by disqualification uh, yeah. in the weeks prior to this, and then they would pretend that that did not happen. Did he powerbomb the guy after the match? I, you know, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Because if he did, he still won. Diamond Dallas Page defeated Ric Flair in what was tied for the longest match of the evening at 12 minutes and 50 seconds in a strap match. Oof. And in the main event, pulling double duty, Goldberg defeated Sting for the WCW Championship in 3 minutes and 8 seconds. And I'm going to read this from the Wikipedia page because this okay. will give you an idea in how coherent the booking was at the time. <clears throat> Quote, the final match of the night was WCW World Champion Sting wrestling United States Champion Goldberg. Although the announcer stated this match was a non-title match, following the match Goldberg was announced as the new champion. After Sting argued with referee Charles Robinson, Sting hit the Scorpion Death Drop on Robinson. The following night on Nitro, Sting declared that he never agreed to defend the title and called James J. Dillon to the ring to explain. Dillon then announced the title was being vacated due to Sting's attack on the referee during the unsanctioned match and announced a tournament for the vacant title to conclude at the following month's pay-per-view. That tournament would be won by Bret Hart. Oh, that guy's a dick. Yeah. Another comparison, WWF had just wrapped up production on Beyond the Mat, a very highly regarded documentary of the time. I remember watching that. WCW, on the other hand treated us to this isn't that something you know kind of so i've been taking a look back through what wrestling was like not just for the average viewer but also what it was like for internet users back in 1999 and i found 
some some very good gems. Sting Angel Fire. Yeah, yeah. Have, do you remember Angel Fire, Matt? Oh, I'm going to say yes just to hear you talk about it more. Okay. Well, for those of you who don't remember, Angel Fire was a thing in the early days of the internet. If you wanted a page done about whatever the heck you wanted, you go to Angel Fire, my man, and you would create your own. Why would you, go to, why would you own... call it Angel Fire? Who thought of that? Because it was the late 90s, dude, and it was badass. Angel Fire. Shimmer, shimmer. Angel. So what I have here is the Angel Fire page for Sting. And oh my god, do we have... It is the unofficial profile for Sting on Angel Fire. It's still available to this day. There's an email. We should have emailed Selena823 at Hotmail and see if she should have come on the show. There's just some really great uh, tidbits on here. His motto is listed as... We're having fun now. Oh, it's showtime, folks. I'm back and in black. It's not it's showtime. It's it's showtime. Uh, there are lots of really great fun facts about staying in here, though. Um, it says renewing his friendship with the Hulkamaniac Hogan. They formed a powerful force that will be unstoppable in WCW. I don't know if they teamed more than five times. When not hanging around in the rafters or wielding his baseball bat, Sting enjoys riding his Harley, driving tractors, four-wheel drive Jeeps, playing golf, and restoring old houses with his wife. You know, I, I got I got some favorites from this thing too, because this is a this is a page just full of just full of beauty. Go for uh, it. His, his favorite candy, I'm a sugar freak. I like anything with peanut butter in it. I can, I can get behind that. I can get behind oh, that. Oh, you dirty dog. The thing that really caught my eye was his favorite superstition. The only thing I do that's even close to a superstition is after putting on my knee pads, I slap each one of them. See, I, 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 I'm surprised you didn't mention that his favorite ice cream is pralines and cream. No, you see, I was disgusted when I read that and I didn't feel like sharing it with the crowd because that's just Have fucking wrong. Have you had pralines wrong. before? Pralines taste pretty good. It's just such a random flavor. We used to, uh, the cookies that we put in the milkshakes at Oberize were praline cookies. And oh, they were those gross. are what you guys consider pralines? They're chocolate praline cookies. Yeah, that's what they're those considered. Are, those were terrible if they were, they were pralines. They were trash garbage. It was no, like, those it was are like not, malt. Pralines should be like caramelly you know really just like thick and not gooey necessarily but anyway anyway I, I i i rest my case you you now know that sting likes pralines and cream so that's great and a 72 ford ranchero with eighty-two thousand miles on it that's right uh here's here's another one that i thought was especially great uh tori wilson has an angel fire page <laughs> and this is probably one of the creepiest things i've ever found oh i'm so pumped to look at this Let's see. It's oh, it's no. just it's just someone going through a weekly analysis of Tori Wilson and and what she's doing in her life on TV. Um, what, what's a great example here? Here's one from December fourth, nineteen ninety nine. Thank goodness Tori Wilson has re-signed with WCW. It would have be a terrible loss if she had Did left. I write this. They just can't afford to lose her with gorgeous George gone, and who knows what they're doing with Kimberly. If they'd lost her, they'd be in serious trouble. 
She's staying put for two more years, whether you like it or not. I certainly like it. All this broke out on her website, stating that she's come to an agreement with WCW, and she looks forward to coming back shortly. It, it, It talks about, like, what she wears every day. What the fuck? Yeah, it's very strange. It enjoy it when she come back because you never know when something like her leaving WCW occurs again. Couldn't have said it better myself. I'm dyslexic and that was written more poorly than I would have. So, hopefully she won't take long stints off television anymore. So where are we getting at with all this? Well, it's this climate where Ready to Rumble was filmed in. The movie yeah. was financed by Stephen Ruther's Bel Air Entertainment. That company was formed as a part of a partnership between Warner Brothers and French company Canal Plus. That answers my question from earlier about who funded the movie. Well, yeah, Itch. it was largely financed, but it, there's always co-deals and such. It was largely yeah. financed, yeah. They should have kickstarted it. Uh, <laughs> Development began around early 1999, through, though Paramount Pictures actually reached out to WCW employees about, quote, a potential movie that would be based in the future and include sports dream matchups, including WWF versus WCW wrestlers in the same movie. That was December 1998. Sounds really happened. strange. Didn't get very far, but it is an interesting anecdote. First details of the movie really began to surface in July of 1999, although the first actual mention I saw of the movie was through the Wrestling Observer in April of 1999. But in July, the Wrestling Observer was quoted as saying, The July 26th Hollywood Reporter had a short item about the WCW movie. David Arquette, Scream 3, stars in the movie. People who have read the script say it's awful, somewhat <laughs> taken out of the Bret Hart deal, isn't everything. Sidebar, that's in relation to the Montreal screw job they're basing yeah. the story off of. Back to the quote. About two wrestling fans who find out ahead of time that the promoter is about to screw their favorite wrestler in a match, and they try to warn him ahead of time. Rose McGowan plays a Nitro Girl in the comedy written by Stephen Brill, who wrote Mighty Ducks. Bischoff will be the executive producer, and several WCW wrestlers will appear in the movie. It's actually interesting how you can see the, the how the script changed. Yeah, I mean, because you that, that's a big that is a major plot difference that changes the whole first act of the movie. In what way? If they if they were going to the because the way this is this sounds like it sounds up, it sounds like they they that original Nitro show they were going to is imagine if they were going to that show knowing Sinclair was going to screw over King. Can can I be honest with you, Matt? Yeah. I love Dave Meltzer. His sentence structure is abysmal. Okay. Which is partially why I've directly quoted some of these things because some of these sentences don't make sense. I'm Did pretty you... sure he just read it wrong or he okay. was told it wrong. But I mean, the, the, the script could have changed. Scripts go through revisions a lot. Scripts go through revisions, but based on what he said about it being based off the Montreal screw job would indicate that the script was largely the same. Maybe. But I, I can imagine like a Bill, like a uh, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back wrestling movie. The only real differences or I read about the movie, first, on a small scale, Marilyn Manson allegedly oh. filmed a small bit in the film, acting as Rose McGowan's boyfriend who was dating her in real life. Um, okay. That could have just been misinformation, but who knows. 
Apparently, she loathed being on this movie, to mention more people that hate this movie. Yeah, she hated being on this movie. And Eric Bischoff, who was executive producer until he was fired from WCW, was originally going to play the role of Titus Sinclair. That would have made sense. It makes a lot of sense considering there's all of the uh, allusions to Wyoming, where Bischoff lives. He's from Cody, Wyoming, which is where Sasha in the movie says she's from. Main characters are from Wyoming. Yeah, the Titus Sinclair wears like a Midwest jacket. Yeah, he wears he wears like a like a Leatherman jacket that is like all like Midwesty. Do you think the movie would have been substantially better with Bischoff in that role? Because I do. I do too, and I think it would have been it it would have been a more well known, especially now. Because could you imagine if this imagine if they made a movie with a character. That was very, very similar to Vince Russo. And then imagine a movie with Vince Russo in it. Right. It also makes more sense with the casting, considering, you know, yep. Bischoff and Diamond Dallas Page were next-door neighbors in real life. And it would have it would have made the movie seem much more legitimate, especially with the angle they took with our cat. I agree. All filming, besides the few bits that I mentioned, took place in Los Angeles in yep. the month of October 1999. The climax of the movie was filmed at the famous Olympic Auditorium, which held wrestling events earlier in the 20th century. The movie was originally set to release in March of 2000, before ultimately being pushed back a month to April 14th, I believe, and then pushed back to April 7th. Despite the film's DVD showing the talent having a great time on set, production had a few very notable WCWS hallmarks to it. According to Dave Meltzer of The Observer in his November 15th, 1999 issue, quote, the name Ready to Rumble for the WCW movie involved striking a deal with the Buffer Brothers, Bruce and Michael. See, they are related, Matt. Since Michael has the phrase trademarked for commercial usage, the word is that WCW paid Michael Buffer $500,000 for his appearance in the movie and the rights to use the phrase Ready to Rumble. So really not only is that. that an expensive movie title, they didn't even get the right for him to say, let's get ready to rumble yeah. in the movie. Do you know why? Why? Because Michael Buffer has trademarked that specific phrase, let's oh. get ready to rumble. If you watch the movie closely, he says, we are ready to rumble. They don't need to pay him to say that, but they do need to pay him to say, let's get ready to rumble. Do for, they need a as, for ready to rumble? Yeah. He must have the best lawyers in the world, okay? Because I have no yeah. idea how a man with his intelligence... Look, I love Michael Buffer, okay? Yeah. He's a great but guy. He's, but he's the guy who announced Bret Hart after being in the company for two years. He introduced him as Bret Hitman Clark. That's incredible. Okay. Now, his, his, his brother... And the UFC likes to jump in a circle and spin around when he gets super excited. Michael Buffer prefers to stand there yeah, and do nothing I, with his I, buck teeth. But fun fact, uh, another one of uh, my co-host mentors, Ben, since you mentioned Bret Hart, is actually uh, has a famous image preserved in WWE and WCW history. Is uh, You know the memorial show that they did for Owen? Oh, I think you told me about this yeah. one. It's one of he's the signs, the, right? He, he's holding the We Miss You Owen sign. Oh, God. Wouldn't he's that guy. Wouldn't it be a terrible like, thing to lay he, credit to? 
when when I when I told him I was a wrestling fan in high school, he was so excited and unexcited to tell me that story. Yeah, that's like a real conversation starter and killer. You know, I wonder yeah. how that goes. Like, oh hey, are you a big wrestling fan? Yeah, dude. I was there when Owen Hart died. Yeah. 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 And speaking of people whose names get pronounced wrong, uh, Tony Schiavone, <laughs> who you mean Larry Zabisco? No. Uh, Tony Schiavone, who when WCW was bought out, a WWF official called him Tony Skiavone. What the fuck? Yeah, he had an extensive podcast discussing this movie on yep. his show What Happened When with Conrad Thompson last year. And his comments can help us fill in some details on what daily life was like on set. Shivani pretty accurately describes life on set as being long and tedious, having to watch Titus Sinclair nod for 16 takes in a row and seeing people bump repeatedly in the same spot over and over and over again while he sat on his keister at the announce table for continuity's sake, which ended up getting messed up anyway. Perfect. There's a lot of continuity issues in this movie. Yeah, we just close your eyes. Uh, He'd actually joke about his tedium on set in WCW magazine. And fun fact, according to him, once he made it to the premiere for the movie, the director, Brian Robbins called him out and he insisted that Tony worry about his own business quote, which is going down the shitter. Someone is very insecure. Uh, Tony Shivani responded with, According to Shivani now, okay? He's had 17 years to, like, Think prepare about or pretend he had a really expert response. According to yeah. Shivani, he said, well, fuck you. I mean, that's pretty That's pretty on the nose. I like that. Yeah. yeah. But he's, hey, hey, he's still making money off this movie, right? Yeah, that's right. He still makes about 200 bucks from the film per year uh, due to being SAG. And he says he's watched the movie, like, a dozen times. Yeah. So oh, yeah. you say, can tell when he, he watches it. He says he doesn't like how fans are portrayed, but... I that, mean, he he listen, talks about that like 15 goddamn times in the first 30 yeah, minutes of that podcast. But you listen to him as he watches the movie, and certain parts he gets so giddy over. He loves the intro. Yes. That opening yes, scene does. where they're wrestling in the in the gas station. That's really cool. The I Actually, him talking about it really made me appreciate it. That whip pan up they do, and then you can yeah. tell it's, you can tell it's a ring, and the ring actually bounces. Yeah. And when he gets thrown out, you can see the edge of the ring. Yeah, that actually always bothered me as a child. But really? Yeah, but at the same time, it was that like the first you? bit of because you can tell the floor is different. Well, yeah, because there's a separation between the ring and the outside, Ben. The outside hurts more. It's the rule. It's more dangerous. To get hit by any move outside of the ring. You need that separation. Don't you start with me. I Oh, I'll start. Also, the rings they use in this movie look tiny. All WCW rings were that size. They were a 16 by 16 ring. I be, or no, they may have been an 18 by 18 ring. But WWEs are 20 by 20. So WCW oh. rings have always been much smaller. Is that why you can do that like four jump death thingy? For the four post master? Well, no, you yeah. could. I mean, they could do that now. I will say Shivani was on the lucky end of the stick when it came to this movie. Certain spots uh, would wear down the wrestlers in the ring who would have to do them repeatedly. Most notably would be Rey Mysterio. They had him do his top rope Frankensteiner maneuver Mm -hmm. dozens of times. 
Jesus. And fuck. eventually he tore his meniscus. Oh my God. Rey Mysterio injured his knee. Shocker of shockers. It's never happened, has it? And he was out for, I think until either until the end of the year or sometime in the middle of 2000. He was gone for a while. Yes. Yeah, a meniscus injury, especially then. Yeah. Even now those are hard to deal with. So according to Dave Meltzer, once again, the late Chris Canyon handled the wrestling choreography for the movie, uh, which was not a surprise, as on top of his strong in-ring work, he was the wrestling choreographer for a Jesse Ventura movie that came out earlier in 1999. He also allegedly served as the main liaison between the film's producers and WCW talent. So when the question is asked, who's better than Canyon, the answer is still Nobody. Canyon was one of my favorites, and his action figure was awesome. How did he get to like such like a profitable position? That's Canyon? incredible. Yeah, I don't he, know his story. I not, not enough. I'd have to think he was referred to the Ventura movie. I don't know how he got on that, but okay. he was known in WCW for being very safe to work with, and for being extremely innovative in the ring. He was the like the Miz. No, he was like the Dolph Ziggler of WCW in 2000, I'd say. Okay, that makes sense. Not nearly as oversaturated as Ziggler is today, but that's the general placement of him. Um, Do you know, Matt, that this film originally had an alternate ending? No, really? Or it was pitched by DDP and uh, supported by Canyon before being promptly shut down. It's one of those endings that doesn't really make sense, but nothing in this movie makes sense, so who cares? According to DDP, he pitched an idea where the movie would go until King wins the title. Okay. They'd go through the whole post-match spiel. Then Sean and Gordy would go backstage and find DDP and Jimmy King hugging it out. And then they'd be like, what? What's going on? And King would go, hey, welcome to the wrestling business. Yeah. And then they'd all get beers and yeah. I would have loved that ending. I, I would have loved so it. It would have more. made a scintilla of sense, but I would have loved it. None of this movie done. Right. Exactly. It would have made David Arquette winning the WCW World Heavyweight title make more sense. It's all work. It's all fake. Remember it, that. What a... This is like multiple multiple layers of kayfabe being represented in this movie and broken. We have reached April of 2000 Ooh. and Ready to Rumble is unleashed on the unsuspecting masses with a red carpet premiere featuring David Arquette smashing a guitar on Jeff Jarrett's head and a random five minute match between Vampiro and The Wall, which according to Dave Meltzer, you could hear a pin drop. So, how does the public react to the movie? In spite of some positive responses and early screenings... Who do they the film, show the movie to? There's always early screenings out here. It's, it's Hollywood, you know. No, what no, else I'm saying, are we like, who do? liked it? Oh, that's a, us? Yeah, I guess, yeah. yeah. Were you at those screenings, bud? So, the film was received overall about as terribly as you would expect. Uh... We still have an extensive archive of reviews from 2000. We can start by taking a look at the eponymous Roger Ebert's review of the movie, where he is quoted as saying, the ahem is my speaking, not Roger Ebert. Quote. Mm -hmm. 
Buffer appears in the movie and duly performs Are You Ready to Rumble? And so earnestly was I not ready to rumble that I wanted the camera to follow him out of the arena instead of staying for a three-cage fight to the death between Jimmy, quote, the king, king, and Diamond Dallas Page. Quote DDP. Yeah. Uh, another quote, I am in awe of wrestlers, not as athletes, but as masochists. <laughs> and then he goes on to label it Dumb and Dumber meets Dumbbell, before oh, giving it terrible. two stars out of four. Um, wow, two out of four? That's a 50%. Well, through these reviews, you can sort of see how the average wrestling fan and how wrestling in general was... Represented. Represented in the media. There were one... There was one positive review of this movie by Salon.com, which was actually very on point. And they're quoted as saying, Look... There's no point pretending that Ready to Rumble isn't completely juvenile and mindless. It isn't merely a wrestling movie. It's a thinly veiled two-hour promotion for World Championship Wrestling, the Ted Turner-owned outfit that's a distant second in the squared circle racket behind Vince McMahon's World Wrestling Federation. But given that, director Brian Robbins and screenwriter Stephen Brill have produced a work of deviant genius, a hilarious hog wallow in juvenile mindlessness with a gentle spirit of self-mockery and a heart of gold quote wow. obviously 12 year olds across the country will be clamoring to see it but ready to rumble should also have a long afterlife ahead as a late night cult treat for cackling stoners it is yeah quote let's be clear about this you've got to be suffering from some major trash culture brain damage to enjoy a movie like ready to rumble i'm in and and this i think is actually a very insightful point mm-hmm. about the movie um he's responding to a part in the movie where oliver platt's jimmy king says that wrestlers are just circus clowns which is more true than anyone would uh want to admit unless you're stone cold Uh, steve austin he talks about being a clown like a like a circus person all the time yeah gordy and sean's response is not just the central question behind ready to rumble but behind the remarkable rebirth of wrestling in general how can you be fake if we believe in you It should be obvious by now that wrestling's very fakeness is the source of much of its popularity. If sports in general are a form of symbolic drama, then wrestling is a grand guignol puppet theater that appeals to our deep-rooted fatalism and desire to believe in conspiracies. Quite seriously, I think it expresses some of America's finest qualities. We may be morons who revel in high histrionics and low slapstick, but we can always appreciate a joke at our own expense. And he closes exactly. the article by saying, this isn't a movie about growth and change and adult romance. It's a movie for the toe-headed, malicious inner child who cherishes the precious American freedom to be a dumbass. That's actually one of the best reviews I could have ever heard for this movie. I don't think I've ever heard a better analysis of mm-hmm. pro Pretty wrestling, horrible. of what it is in the modern era. Yeah, that's inc- that ne- this guy needs to be quoted for years. Four years. So thank you, Salon.com. I'm sure there were plenty of other positive reviews. Oh, newsflash, there was not. Nope. The New York Times had probably, on the opposite end of the spectrum, the most scathing review (laughs) I have ever seen of anything this side of Phil Mushnick on pro wrestling. And I'm going to read some excerpts here. It's not a long review, but boy, is it... Is it good? 
Ready to Rumble is a courageous, devastating expose of the brutality, misogyny, and homophobia that pervade the so-called sport of professional wrestling. The film goes to shocking lengths to show how this wildly popular form of entertainment transforms its young male fans into uncouth, slack-jawed dolts who <laughs> think that punching women in the face is an acceptable form of foreplay and who are entirely unable to distinguish fantasy from reality. The movie also explores with candor and sensitivity the undercurrent of sadomasochistic homoeroticism that has made wrestling a big money attraction for the whole family. Just kidding. Actually, Brian Robbins' Ray to Rumble is not a satire of the idiocy of professional mm. wrestling, but a long, self-satisfied wallow in it. The film was made with the cooperation of World Championship Wrestling, an organization whose logo is much in evidence and several of whose real-life stars, if that's the right phrase, turn up to break chairs over other people's heads. Compared to WCW, the better-known World Wrestling Federation looks downright high-brow. After all, the WWF has recently been the subject of a documentary, a word few of the characters in Ready to Rumble are probably able to spell. Oh, You may say I'm missing the point. Everyone knows pro wrestling is fake. Everyone knows it's stupid, and that's part of the fun. Well, far be it for me to stand against the atrophy of human intelligence, but ready to rumble is not much fun at all. Oh. He really likes it, doesn't he? He loves this movie with, like, a burning and, like, intensifying passion. Yeah. Um, Let's see. It stars David Arquette and Scott Can as they, uh, as it goes through a brief description of the movie. To call their plans, or the script, harebrained is to insult the cognitive ability of rabbits. <sighs> Gotta have Whoa. to make sure we get as many three-plus-syllable words in there. Suffice it to say that the plot calls for smackdowns aplenty and a climactic triple-cage deathmatch at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. If you don't know what these terms mean, consider yourself lucky. What a dick. You can just imagine this guy, right? Someone's like, hey, you got to watch this movie. He's like, this is where I'm going to prove myself and prove how big a dick I got by running this movie down. Yeah, he was so excited. He got like raped by a wrestler. Wrestling? Wrestling? This is the guy where you say, hey, I like wrestling. And he goes, you know that's fake, right? Yeah, this is this you know is the kid fake. who liked wrestling for about like three weeks in like second grade, and then got the shit kicked out of him four times, and now has a personal intrinsic psychological vendetta against wrestling. This is for a person whose father told him that wrestling was fake and made fun of him for it, and he's now made it his life mission to make everyone else feel how he felt on that day. Adding insult to a great many injuries, some of which look like as if they <laughs> really hurt is the spectacle of Mr. Platt, always a good sport, singing Run DMC's King of Rock wearing a studded black leather bodysuit and a gimcrack crown. And then there is the Oscar winner Martin Landau delivering whippings to anyone who crosses his path. These men are good actors, as is Joe Pantaleano, who plays a villainous WCW impresario. Let's hope they got their money up front. 
and that the winsome Rose McGowan, playing a Nitro Girl exotic dancer who is briefly Gordy's love interest, manages to forget she was ever mixed up in a movie in which the only thing women are called upon to do is strip down to their underwear. As the credits roll, Ready to Rumble runs the now obligatory blooper reel, which is indistinguishable from what has come before and leaves the disturbing impression that Mr. Arquette may not have been acting at all. Like, what the fuck does that even mean? Yeah, I don't even know what you're going for with that one right there. At the end, we are treated to a montage of kicks to various groins, a perfect expression of the film's idea of humor and its opinion of its audience. And as he finishes it up, Ready to Rumble is rated PG-13. It is nonstop mayhem, profanities uttered both in affection and in anger, and a sense of humor that might be politely described as excremental. Oh, jeez, what? That's, that's like a bad joke mixed in with a really unnecessarily harsh review. Yeah, um, he wasn't alone in his feelings on this uh on this film yeah clearly uh, we, yeah we can switch through these uh the the dallas morning news said quote unless wrestlers playing wrestlers is your cup of tea better plan on saving the pennies for the wwf's next pay-per-view special instead from edmonton i feel like laying the smackdown on brian robbins the jabroni who directed this b-show of a movie which is as much bounce of a pair of worn out bozarks he and the rest of the heels involved in ready to rumble should be given the atomic drop does that move even exist in today's wrestling lingo after globbing the marks this badly the performances are all no-sell, with Oliver Platt as the babyface being a sure no-show. In short, Ready to Rumble is a screw job. He used just about every single one of those words incorrectly. I think he like went through the lexicon of like wrestling terms and then just erased the definitions and then just used the words. He, I, I mean, that's painful. <laughs> that one's painful. Well, in the Seattle Times, the entire movie is essentially an attempt to fill silence. <laughs> the Detroit News, ready to rumble, manages to insult not only pro wrestling, but also their fans. The Orlando Sentinel says, yes, film fans, there is a new worst movie of all time. The USA Today said, a pile driver to the brain. And the most reputable source on the internet of course film mom said that this movie had had incessant and very raw potty humor dave Meltzer reviewed the movie himself in the april 17th wrestling observer and he stated the movie clearly playing to all the worst stereotypes about both pro wrestling and the audience that watches it succeeds in its attempt to be like pro wrestling but worse, aimed at 16-year-old boys and loaded with sewage sight gags. An attempt to make a comedy out of Wrestling with Shadows, complete with a heel promoter based on Vince McMahon that Eric Bischoff originally wanted to play before he was removed from WCW. A babyface who got screwed, played by Oliver Platt, whose portrayal is a wrestling superstar clean-cut face, who in reality is a cross-dressing, broke, lying trailer park wino, and Martin Landau as Stu Hart, based on two kids who refuse to believe wrestling isn't fake. In fact, 
for all the protesting within wrestling about the word fake. This movie, basically commissioned by a wrestling company, uses the word freely as one of the backbones of the entire plot. First off, for the love of God, Dave Meltzer's been writing since 1980, and his sentence structure is impossible. Yeah. Secondly, how do you take those reviews, Matt? I understand why they're all there. Like, I get it. But I disagree with some of them. It's, it's one of those things where the movie isn't trying to be very intelligent. I think it is, um, disres- I don't want to say disrespectful, but diminishing of the fan base of WWE. Oh, no, it's really disrespectful. But for me, I think the movie is more, I don't think it's trying to be criticizing the fans yeah, as exactly. much as it's like, we want to do a Dumb and Dumber style comedy. What's the easiest way to get to that? Yeah, I think they should have just done like a Mighty Ducks meets WWE or meets WCW movie. It would have been great. That would have been great. It's written by the same guy. Now, I do have to say the movie does have some pretty strange stuff through the movie, like using the off-brand Royal Bash pay-per-view in front of a crowd of like 12 people. Perfect. Um, Alignments being all over the place. Like the Disco Inferno is one of the uh, save the day baby faces who stands tall at the sign of danger like Mm -hmm. what the fuck (laughs) yeah why disco why i do think though that there's some really quality gags in the movie from the wrestling ring floor in the gas station sasuke her head caved in by a ladder um and this movie is just about as quotable as any other movie i've seen yeah it's rock hard ben rock hard rock hard so how does this affect wcw at large we would be remiss to not at least touch base on the ramifications this movie would have on real life wcw vince russo half-heartedly encouraged by tony Schiavone, there's some dispute there would put the wcw championship on david arquette on the april 27th 2000 edition of thunder after being encouraged uh to bring him on tv by ddp uh, that's at least according to Russo. Yeah, and according to David Arquette, he did not want them to do it. He like fought against getting the title, and they were, and Vince Russo just talked him into it incessantly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, David Arquette specifically said he had no interest in it. Yeah, he thought it was a bad move. Yeah, in spite of allegedly despising the movie, Russo and to a lesser extent Shivani continue to defend this decision to this day with Russo arguing that it gave WCW headlines all over the country. Matt, do you think that given the amount of publicity it got, that this was worth it ultimately, or, or what? I think I think it, it, it's twofold. It's de- it definitely wasn't worth it due to, like, with hindsight. I think at the time that it occurred, it was a big indicator to wrestling fans that, every, that WCW had, like, it was done. I think I think you know you hear about this movie being in the nail in the coffin for WW, WCW, and I think I think to an extent it can represent that because you can see it as like how little value WCW was putting on their content and their the, what they believed in that they broke kayfabe in like a massive way. Well, plus when the title changes hands as many times as it did in two thousand, it's like who cares? Yeah, it doesn't like nothing mattered. So I. I I think your regular entry-level layman, I think she would agree with all of the reviewers. It's just, it's, 
it's a very particular movie for a very particular group of people. Like I'm the type I, I liked Mother, so you know what can I say? Right, but I mean I think the actual title change itself is like, you know, if you had Samuel L. Jackson win the WCW title, at huh? least he's not a B movie actor like David Arquette is, and I love yeah, David Arquette. Yeah, but right? you couldn't get an A level actor to win the WCW right. title. So They'd then refuse. you wouldn't have them win the WCW title. You could, you would if your star was David Arquette. Despite Russo's claims in interviews that everyone he pitched the idea to in WCW thought it was a great idea and that it was a great commercial success in the end, it's still considered to be one of the most embarrassing moments in the company's history. Listening to Shivani talk about the booking decision with yeah. Russo in his latest podcast, if you got to that point, it is hilarious. I, 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 I'm going to be honest. The... Uh... What's happening when podcast? I appreciate the personality. I couldn't get past. Certain episodes are better than others. I wouldn't. Every podcast, except for ours, which is perfect. Every episode. Everyone gets better, do you mean? I, I, but, but like, we're, we're, we're improving on perfection. So Vince Russo, in a shoot interview, described the booking meeting as Tony Schiavone goes, oh, I have a great idea. Why don't. We have David Arquette win the WCW championship on Thunder. It'll oh, yeah. be such a swerve. According to Shivani, he said that he was in the booking meeting. They decided on Thunder. Everyone left. Shivani really didn't care at this point. And Russo goes, oh, no, he did. Oh, he did. When you hear Shivani talk about old school WCW, he really loved that company, and it was just okay. beaten out of him. Yeah, so I say he was emotionally dead now. In 2000, yes, he was. But Russo stares at Shivani, who's nonplussed, and he says, Do you have any ideas for this show? He goes, No, I'm fine. Just sort of blowing it off. Russo says, Are you thinking about maybe doing something with our cat? Like maybe putting the title on him? And Shivani's like, uh, I mean, people won't see it coming. It'll get headlines. Wow. Yeah. Uh, there's plenty of evidence that this was a bad decision, even from the day right after the title switch happened. Uh, there was a really good review of the show from ddtdigest.com in 2000 that I found. Wow. Yeah, and put this, that in the description down below. <laughs> this person does a really good job of laying out how incredulous it is that David Arquette became world champion. He says, "Let's look at this from perspective. Ric Flair held the WCW title. Sting held the WCW title. Lex Luger, Vader, Chris Benoit held the WCW title. Chris Jericho could." have held the WCW title, but was held back by some of the bigger guys who thought he was too small. David Arquette, who stands no taller than 5'10 and weighs about 150 pounds soaking wet, is the new WCW world champion. That's incredible. He goes on to say that if WCW is to be taken seriously, crap like that must not happen. But you know what? He didn't. It's sports entertainment, after all. Well, you know, Vince Russo says, quote, 
as long as wrestling is part as long as wrestling is part of the title Perfect. wrestling fans are going to watch wrestling what do you think it's, about that matt also you know, note that sounds insightful also note that he follows up this statement right afterwards by saying quote the most important thing is don't insult the intelligence of the fans. I swear to God, he said that within one minute. That's the whole movie. The whole movie's about insulting the intelligence of wrestling fans. I think he has some like mixed up perspectives on life. But just look at Russo's double talk there and how yeah. none of it lines up. He just repeats up. himself. I mean, cons- well, no, he says directly contradicting items. But, you know, considering WCW's main championship changed hands about 20 times in 2000 (laughs) and was treated with about a hundredth of the importance it was given to in this critically lambasted movie. I'm thinking that maybe Russo just isn't a great writer and he spent the better part of the last 20 years potentially lying about as much as possible to try and save face for inane booking decisions. Internal logic be damned. Bro. You know, I, I, I think I think if anyone ever questioned Russo's ability as a writer, just never watched any of his booking. Because like, it's very clear from the moment you watch something with Vince Russo in control that Vince Russo's in control. He has a very particular mindset of life. Meltzer is quoted as stating, What Vince Russo is doing in WCW is not wrestling. It's a burlesque show featuring a motley cast of characters, the majority of which were once pro wrestlers. Oh... Uh, to be fair though on their grave to be fair though wcw at this point did have a bit of old yeller syndrome where they were Mm -hmm. on death's door according to Meltzer in the april 3rd 2000 observer quote on upn9 in new york doing their uh hook to keep wrestling fans after smackdown ends on march 23rd they talked about the new wrestling movie ready to rumble and said Hey, WWF fans, there's a new movie out with some of the WWF's biggest stars. Never once mentioned WCW. (laughs) And they did get press coverage for Arquette's title win, but it lasted about, you know, 12 hours. No one gave a shit. Well, as you mentioned, though, Arquette never wanted to hold the championship. Vince Russo had to talk him into it. He was interviewed by the Wrestling Observer right after winning the title in that two-week time span when he held the championship. Mm -hmm. And the article quoted as saying, quote, I said I felt all right, but I did feel kind of weird. Obviously, I don't deserve it. These guys are so skilled, and it takes so much athleticism and gymnastics and strength, not to mention all the acting stuff that goes into it. It's really hard. The Observer says, Arquette said he learned wrestling from Canyon, DDP, and Shane Helms in a ring at the warehouse where they practiced before doing the movie Ready to Rumble, and said he messed around when the ring was up while they were doing the movie. After the show in Syracuse where he won the title, Arquette was buying food and drinks at the bar for everyone, not just wrestlers, but also fan hangers on. And he was, unlike many celebrities who get involved, very well liked by the wrestlers, even the ones who didn't think using him in that way was a smart idea. It's hard not to like him. Yeah, David Arquette, from all I've seen, is a super cool dude. All of the movie he got from the movie, or from his WCW appearances, yeah. excuse me. He donated uh, it, right? He, he donated it to uh, Melanie Pellman, Brian Aww. Pellman's wife, who ended up spending it all on drugs, allegedly. 
Perfect. And he gave the rest of the money to Darren Drozdov, who was a WWF wrestler, Draws, who was paralyzed in 1999. Yeah, he's a lifelong wrestling fan. His father was the voice for Jimmy Murderfly Snuka in Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling 80s cartoon. I had that one written down myself. Yeah, and he's been uh, seen numerous times at wrestling events. He was last notably on TV in 2010. Uh, Randy Orton put him through a table and beat him and Alex Riley in a handicap match. And David Arquette, here's a fun fact, is the first person I saw publicly boo Roman Reigns during his face push. SummerSlam 2014. I I was there. He was right across from me booing the shit out of Roman Reigns as he fought Randy Orton. And then someone saw me booing Roman Reigns and they said I was really annoying on Reddit. Well, and Ben, well, you have the greatest, you have the greatest wrestling gif of all time involving Roman Reigns. I have two of them actually. Yeah. You're, you're my favorite, which is the one where you're falling asleep. Yeah, there's, I've 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 made it to the, anyway. This is not about me. This is about we Mr. Have, Arquette. Do you know that David we blew, Arquette we blew up a bit by chanting at Jericho? That was that's my claim to fame. That's right. We ruined, we ruined a SmackDown. We we ruined Chris Jericho's uh, heel turn in 2016. Yeah, we legitimately fucked that up. Yeah, he turned heel in Chicago, attacked AJ Styles right after we were there an for that. awesome tag match with the New Day. The next night on SmackDown in Milwaukee, he has this big t-shirt burning thing (laughs) and he's burning the shirt of Y2AJ. He's this really villainous guy, but me, Matt, and a couple of other friends were all huge Jericho fans. Yeah. For the first time like ever, we brought signs. So we had like half a dozen signs. We made sure not to block anyone. We had like 20 signs. Yeah. But we made sure not to block anyone, but we were there, and we just cheered Jericho incessantly. We had Ralphus signs. We had all this stuff. And what happened is at the end, you can tell it, Matt. No, I was going to say, not even at the very end. The the antithesis of his bit was that even during their matches, everyone would chant AJ Styles. So as part of his, his speech and his promo, as a heel, it was him creeping like a, chanting aj styles just to encourage the crowd to sing along and he was doing that for this bit as a tight pan faded in on the burning t-shirt and you'd hear him go aj styles y2j and like really loud and it was he was legitimately mad and it was working until we started chanting for jericho because i mean it's milwaukee everyone's like yeah sure i like jericho cool let's do it and everyone was kind of playing along at first. And then and on, like, the, yeah. on the discussion thread on Reddit days, yeah. later, people are like, oh my God, that crowd sucked. What are they <laughs> cheering for Jericho? That was one of the best promos of the year. So if you're wondering what happened, if you're wondering why Chris Jericho's heel turn was ruined, it was because of us. I will state mm-hmm. that David Arquette continues mm. to make wrestling headlines to this day because as of May 31st, 2018, David Arquette told TMZ that he wants to make a return to wrestling. Are you ready for that, Matt? Oh, I'm pumped. If David Arquette came, like, I'd actually watch an episode of Raw Live if he was going to be on it. So, Matt, what legacy does this movie leave 
for you. Is it a true stoner diamond in the rough? Or is it a film that should be shuffled underneath the proverbial porn magazines under our beds? And, like, come on, David Arquette, wrestling. Again, Hall of Fame, 2019. Let's do it. So, here's what I think. I think from from a legacy perspective, I think this goes down in time as a incredible attempt and an incredible representation of WCW at its time. Do I think this is a stoner diamond in the rough? Not so much. I actually really feel like this is a diamond in the rough for really hardcore wrestling fans who are as cynical as us. If you get to the point where you're just taking the shit off everything in WWE, and when I watch pro wrestling, it's like watching a live action comic book for me. So when I watch this, it's like a alt universe. It's like reading Deadpool when I go and watch this movie for me. Um, I mean, I can't. I can only imagine how much cannabis improves this film. Uh, it's poorly written, somewhat well acted, and almost disrespectful at times, and definitely sexist. But it has some good bits. If you watch it like a comic book or like a cartoon, it's a great movie, in my opinion. I think the characters are great. I think I said, wakey, wakey, get your hands off Snakey for about 15 years after seeing this movie. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of... and. I mean, really, really all this movie did has set up the 2018 face run for David Arquette in the WWE. And that's what I'm in for. This movie is not a good movie. Oh, okay. But I really enjoy this movie and the memories Mm -hmm. I've associated with this movie. It's very much a movie that will never happen like this again. Because it's so strange in how sort of meta but not meta it is. This is a movie that really only would have ever occurred under a Vince Russo yeah. regime in a time period like late 90s WCW. And the humor is shitty, no pun intended. hey But it's not Whoa. bad enough to diminish your enjoyment from seeing Sid Vicious and Perry Saturn getting beaten up by a 70-year-old man. Yeah, and there are good bits. And there are good bits. And just the bizarro nature of it all is something that is just forever memorable for me. This is my Pop-Tart movie. Pop-Tarts are terrible for you, but they taste good. And they remind you of when you were a kid, and they still taste really good, and they still have some really good bits to them and yeah most people say pop tarts aren't good for you because they're not but But you know what everyone gets their guilty pleasure for me this is kind of like the secret documentary about the end of wcw like we didn't get like like a hardcore introspective like deep dive into the interworkings of wcw right as they completely collapsed like in like the way we should have and i think this movie's that well, what I will say is this movie I do not feel is nearly as insulting or I do not think it is as malicious as people make this movie out to be. Yeah, I'd, it I is agree not a there. movie designed to make fun of wrestling fans. It is a yeah. movie with maybe misinformed people, but its number one goal was they went, okay, right, we want a dumb and dumber style comedy. How are we going to get there? Yeah. And if you that's wanna... how they got to it. It is not a malicious film. Yeah. It is a stupid film, but it is not malicious. 
and you can't go into it expecting to get like an emotionally real version of pro wrestling if you want that go watch the wrestler this yes. movie is for a very particular set of audience yeah and if you go in and you're roger ebert and you're expecting like a fun team group comedy you're not going to get that because it's not that movie it's a wrestling yeah. movie this is like watching the third marine movie if you're going into that with any kind of expectations you're a fucking idiot if you are a fan of pro wrestling most likely or a fan of i mean Hey, John Cena's in the movie for like five seconds in Goldberg's gym. Like, come on. But really, like, if go. you're a fan of that era of wrestling, of wrestling from the 90s, the early 2000s, mm-hmm. a more lapsed old fan. era of wrestling, you owe it to yourself to watch this movie yeah. at least oh, yeah. once for the absurdity of it. Yeah, I think this movie has to be in the pantheon of this that era of wrestling. I think it's an important... Like, despite what it is, I think it's an important representation of the industry. Yeah. And I think I think if you were doing, like, a chronological... Like, if you were, like, collecting all of the best, like, pay-per-views and out-of-ring out of incidences in films, you know, you put WWE's documentary, like, way at the top. But I think this needs to be in the pantheon. It's not like an honorable mention. It's in... Like it gets it gets a full it gets a, it gets a full shot. Yeah, if you are a fan of this era of wrestling, I strongly, strongly recommend you watch this, and you will not regret watching it. You may not enjoy the movie, but you will appreciate the time that you spent yeah. with it. Especially if you're an older wrestling fan, like if you if you've gone full circle as a fan, you know it's like I've read Harry Potter so many times now. I hate Harry and every character in the book. And that's kind of what I'm at with wrestling. I've watched it and enjoyed it for so long. I hate it all now, which makes me love it more. If you've gotten to that cynicism, this movie's for you. Plus, all wrestling fans kind of hate wrestling fans. So, yeah. you we're know, meant to we're hate sort each of other. used to self-hating each other and making fun of ourselves. For me, this movie's like, I, I mean, I'll be honest, I've I, there's been some pretty entertaining individuals at live shows and yeah. indie live shows. And this movie's just like all of those people heightened to 10. I mean, let me just it's every say, stereotype. It's like the Friday movies. WCW fans were legitimately rednecky, and even going to WWE live events, I would hear people say, "Oh yeah, we're going to a Raw." It's a it's a live event. It's not televised. Yeah, we're going to a Raw. Where's the stage? They add all that in as CG. Oh shit! What? I- they legitimately believe this. There's little tiny cameras up there in the sky. Swear to God, they believe that. When I was really, really young, like when I, I think I went to my first, I went to a live event. It wasn't a Raw. It wasn't anything. It was a live event. And they didn't do pyro. And I was like incest. I was really pissed off. I was like, I really want to see the pyro. You were incest? Like in, there's a, no, there's a term like incest. Incensed. Incensed. Thank incest you, Incest. Is a is... much more fun weekend. <laughs> Um, I'm, I was, uh, yeah, I was aggravated excessively and I asked my dad, I was like, dad, where's the pyro? And he goes, oh, they'll just add it with lasers. They and I was like, that that's before. right. They have done that with, with Undertaker's lightning. Whenever Undertaker uses lightning, that is superimposed. I was there for one of his uses and it was really jar- like jarring when I went and watched the filmed version later oh for wrestlemania right yeah for yeah. wrestlemania also i will say my earliest uh live show wrestling memory 
uh, like my clearest memory of going to a live show is I don't I think it might have been at WrestleMania, but I'm not sure. It's uh Under Undertaker was like had just finished a match and he had him bladed, but he had taken a bump right to the top of his head. So there's a small little trickle of blood like coming out right of his scalp. And he was just sitting on the ring steps looking really tired. And I took a picture of him and he smiled at me. Anyway, beside the point, uh, there, there was topic. about this time WWE act- or WWF actually had house shows where they would use pyro. Oh, really? And as someone who hated pyro, it was awful because they used the loud boomy pyro. Oh, the and best. They'd set them up in the ring while you were staring at the American flag for the national anthem. Oh, those so bastards. you wouldn't see them get it set up. Unless and then you all of a sudden, just this loud booming behind me. It was the worst. You should have just been less patriotic. Now we don't even have pyro on television. Hooray! Why? Cutting costs. All right, okay. Before we can finally, finally, finally dive into this movie... We have to ask the question, is this child friendly? Yes. To help us answer this question, we need to go to screenit.com, a site straight out of 2000, that can warn us of this movie's potential perils. Ooh. Okay? And, and Matt, I've combed through this. So let's take a look at screenit.com. They very conveniently listed for us all of the role models for this movie. <laughs> like, let's take a look at Scott Can's character, Ooh. who plays David Arquette's buddy and co-worker, who helps Gordy and apparently has sex with a hometown girl. Parentheses, we see him and a young woman wrapped together in a bedspread coming out of a camper. He, got, he made the right choice. If we follow down, they give an overall take on the movie. They say, our word to parents. The following is a brief look at the content found in this movie that's rated PG-13. Profanity consists of one F-word, while other profanities and many colorful phrases are also present. Some non-explicit, sexually related comments are made. Several sexual encounters take place off-camera. Some scantily clad women perform as, quote, cheerleaders of sorts. And some oh, brief nudity occurs, all and or part of men's bare butts. Faked and real professional wrestling violence occurs. What? Faked and, and real, real professional <laughs> wrestling <laughs> violence occurs. Yep, move on. Where people on. are hit, kicked, dropped, and otherwise pummeled in the ring with some bloody results. While other hitting, and many instances of men being kicked in the crotch, occur outside the ring. Impressionable kids may want to imitate the wrestling moves and fighting, or other less than savory behavior that's present and elicits laughs from the film's target audience. Oh, oh. A fair amount of scatological humor is present in the form of several scenes involving people and raw sewage. I'm going to have to use scatological in my like vocabulary for the rest of my life. Well, just in case that that wasn't in-depth enough for us, they do have some particular descriptions in here that I think you should be aware of, Matt. Okay? Okay. I'm pumped. Let's go. Let's take a look at their analysis of alcohol and drug use in the movie. 
Quote, okay. King drinks liquor from the bottle, appears a bit tipsy, Ooh. and Gordy and Sean offer to go on a beer run for him. Later, we see Gordy drinking a beer and King opening one and guzzling down part of it in one gulp. That is that is nefarious. That is that is destructful to our children. What about nudity? We see the voluptuous quote Nitro Girls Whoever on several occasions, and these shapely women are dressed in small, form fitting tops that show cleavage mm-hmm. and similarly tight fitting hot pants. Uh, they list that the movie has no scary scenes which somehow completely misses some of the truly horrifying acting from some of the side characters Ooh. in this film. Ooh. In terms of word usage, there is, quote, at least one F word, 13 S words, six slang terms for slash using male genitals, including dick, diddly, wee wee, and spanky. Five slang <laughs> terms using female genitals, particularly P asterisk SSY. One slang term for breasts, boob. 20 asses, one used with, quote, hole. 12 dams, 11 hells, four craps, one SOB, seven uses of oh my god, and one use each of G dash damn for Christ's sakes Jesus my God oh God by God and good God as exclamations but what could the children of America repeat at school potentially imitatable phrases include big shit dumb shits shithouse bitch idiot jackass turdlets Retards, boob, not meaning breast, loser, sissy, squirrel nuts, I'm going to open a can of whoop ass on you boys, <laughs> jerko, butt fruit, nuts, and balls, quote, testicles, cut the crap, take a leak, dirt bags, sucks, ass juice, bitch slap, oh hell yeah, puppy dog bitch, kick his ass, Fat boy, jerk, chicks, scumbags, whore, freak, I ought to kick your ass, piss off, you freaking morons, wanky wanky hands off spanky, bite me, crazy old bastard, who's your daddy, bitch, said by a man to another man, shut up, penis breath, and possibly worst of all, booger face yeah you know, i'm gonna be honest w- wanky wanky hands off spanky has been said many times in my life i'm sorry you didn't read this in time and finally topics to talk to your children about the use of people being hit especially in the crotch and scatological material as a basis for intended comedy as well as the world of professional wrestling and the fans who are drawn to it what because matt we are lesser people we need to be talked about we We're dangerous are the problem with society you know, this movie came out in 2000 
the UFC was like regularly around then. Like, hadn't they relaxed yet? UFC was on death's door at this point because in the mid nineties, uh, John McCain spearheaded a bunch of campaigns to get UFC banned in lots of areas. And they were taken off of pay-per-view in almost all markets. Um, and that really didn't improve. It didn't start to improve until I think a year or two after this, but I'm not a big MMA expert, so I could be slightly off. I think it's like 2005 is like when everything was back in swing. I, I, that sounds right. Cause that's when I started really hearing about it was in like 2006 because it started getting on and then it blew up around when it like blew up, blew up when Brock went. Right. That, that, that time frame that like, like the three, the two years around that is really when the shit got real. Would it be wrong to say that Brock Lesnar is the Hulk Hogan of UFC? It's Conor McGregor. Brock but Lesnar Con- never see Conor McGregor strikes me as the Steve Austin of UFC because he came after Brock. No, it, he feels like Hulk because to me he he's like taken the time to have like creative control. That okay. he's become larger. He's well, he's Ric Flair. Never mind, he's Ric Flair. Conor McGregor's Ric Flair. Then I guess Brock. No, Br- Brock is probably Stone Cold because the yeah, like Rick, Brock the, would the, be Stone Cold and Conor would be Hogan. No, Conor's Flair. But Hogan always drew more than Flair. But he wasn't his large life and style and profile, which is Conor McGregor's thing. Oh, I was just talking drawing power and like influence oh, okay. on UFC. Yeah, if you're talking about the biggest drawing power of any any superstar, it's Conor McGregor's number one. And then Brock was probably number two at the time. It's like Conor, Rousey, and then Brock or something like that, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah. If we're talking about like large scale pulls. Two of three have made it to WWE. Is it a matter of time? It is. And on that beautiful little bonnet, we now encourage you to follow along with us as we present you with a full live commentary of 2000's Ready to Rumble to play alongside your own viewing of the film. If you've seen this movie as many times as we have and want a bit of additional company or maybe just have some extra fun facts about the film thrown at your ear holes. Uh, Stick around and we will hold you tight as we watch this legendary journey of Jimmy King. Are you ready, Matt? That, you know, you know what that idea does for me, Ben? What? That idea is rock hard. Rock hard. Brought to you by Benjamin at B Tucker torch and Matt at Dr. Gore wizard. You are listening to our festival of findings and we are now ready to rumble. I said, are you ready to rumble? No, you got to cheer still. Woo! For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching at home. <sighs> Let's get ready to rumble! Rumble! 
that's how DX got their let's get ready to suck it routine. Oh, huh. Yeah, because they were making fun of Michael Buffer in WCW. That's a little obvious. I mean, The Big Show was named The Big Show because it was, the initials are TBS, like Turner Broadcasting Station. (laughs) That's incredible. Swear to God, why else would they choose a name so stupid? 